Geppetto Pickups, GeppettoGuitars.com. Guitar players are always searching for the tone that will define their playing identity. Geppetto Pickups' wide spectrum of tones and sonic colors inspire and instill a newfound confidence in the player that comes from having amazing tone. Single coils, humbuckers, and bass pickups wound and constructed by hand to a level of perfection that will finally satisfy that search for tone and enhance your playing. Because, let's face it, when you sound better, you're inspired to play better. Go to GeppettoGuitars.com. We'll give your guitar's voice, but you'll make it sing. Welcome to Guitar Radio Show, the show dedicated to the guitar player, guitar maker, gear builder, and purveyors of such items that you may not know about, but should. Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Guitar Radio Show. Our next guest uh, really is somebody who was a game changer for the bass guitar. Uh, I remember the very first time I saw him on Long Island, when I was living on Long Island with his band Talus. I think it might have been at uh, Frank Cariola's Sundance. Maybe, maybe. Uh, and it was a mind-blowing experience to see somebody do what they did with the bass, particularly in a rock setting. Uh, obviously, we had had Jocko, and we had Jeff Berlin, and we had people like that, but we had never seen anybody do what our next guest did with the bass, particularly for rock and roll. Uh, he has played with so many people throughout the course of his career. I mean, it just go the, the the list goes on and on. Uh, you know, obviously with with Talis, with Steve Vai, with David Lee Roth, with Richie Kotzen and the Winery Dogs, uh, UFO. The list goes on and on. And one of my favorite projects that he has, which is Niacin, uh, and. Um, I'm just really thrilled to have him here. Folks, please welcome to the Guitar Radio Show, Mr. Billy Shin. How are you, sir? Thanks for having me on. How are you doing, okay? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, so you're you're right off the heels, literally, of the Vi Academy. Yeah. How was that trip? We had a riot. Uh, it was myself, uh, Steve, of course, uh, Larry Williams, uh, Tommy Emmanuel, Nuno Betancourt, mm. uh, young lady named Yvette, I forgot her last name, a fantastic young guitarist. Uh, uh, and Steve's band was there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, all good friends of mine. We had a, 
Dave Wiener. Was that? Dave Wiener. Yeah, he was there. Good to see him. Jeremy Coulson and Philip Bino as well. It was all good. Yeah, so we had a blast. We, uh, Steve, I think it's the sixth one he's held, and he invited me along, and we got up, and uh, I think somebody shot video of the sound check of us playing the uh, the ending lick at Shy Boy, because we had to make sure we remembered it. I saw that. And it said about, last time I looked, it was about 300,000 views, so... <laughs> Pretty funny. Yeah, man. It's it's so it was it was great. I I saw a ton of video. I saw a ton of pictures. More pictures than I did video, unfortunately. Uh, but I want to search some more. Uh, it looked like a blast. You know, it's funny about those the, that particular event. I am so insecure about going to that event. <laughs> why? Why? Just because you know, like I'm I'm going to be walking in there, like okay. Am I going to be able to bring anything to this? You know what I mean? Well, uh, it's there for you to take something from, you know. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, we're uh, all of us that do it. I uh, gave master classes, and I get two per day. Uh, they had titles, like one for beginners and one for advanced, but we, it was the same pretty much. And nobody was entitled to uh, uh, be under pressure to perform anything or meet any kind of standard yeah and there was people there that didn't play at all and there was people there that are absolute beginners so uh that kind of thing like i similarly i do a master class of one-on-one here in nashville and uh i i've had a couple guys that can't play at all Mm -hmm. i mean they they just bought a bass and came in and uh, it was interesting uh and you always learn the 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 guy who is holding the class always learns something from the people, even 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 absolute beginners. Yeah. So it's always enlightening to me to see someone how they approach an instrument. But yeah, you never. It's, it's there's no one's judged on how good they are, and there's no contest there yeah. at all. Yeah. And, and you can uh, gain a lot. Uh, I wish I could have sat down with uh, a lot of guys when I was beginning. Uh, it was unheard of back then, pretty much. The jazz guys would do a clinic once in a while, but it was uh, no rock guys would ever sit down and do that. That started in the uh, late 70s or 80s, I think. Yeah. Uh, and now it's pretty common. And I'm accessible to everybody, too, through all my social media. I answer it all. I read it all. I comment or respond to comments for it all. So I like the fact that it's kind of an open book now. And anyone, uh, no matter where they're at, can get in touch depending on how much time the person they're getting in touch with has to be free yeah unfortunately uh we're in a pandemic uh i I, i'm getting an idea that it's over but nevertheless uh it's kept a lot of people home and i've been here and responding to people and doing interviews and recording tracks for people and uh like a, we're up to almost 600 tracks we've done during the pandemic. Wow. And I don't know how many records, how many full albums, like five or six. So, but you know, anybody, somebody from Croatia gets in touch with me and wants me to play on their record. I made it a rule though that I have to hear this, hear the music first. <laughs> Only because uh, sometimes it's just wacky uh, <laughs> uh, prog, 15 different time signature changes. I, I, I gotta I gotta charge more because I, I don't read 
and uh, I have to I have to learn it, memorize it, and then perform it in order to record it. Yeah. And if it's something really difficult, I'd have to. It's a lot of time, so I have to charge a little bit more. And uh, but and, and and sometimes it's just not together enough to record to. So we'll give them advice on what they should do and see if we hear back from them. But it's been great, and we've met a lot of amazing people and played on some incredible stuff from uh, death metal to country and western to electronic dance music to classical to jazz to fusion to rock to. Uh, you name it it's been an amazing experience it really is amazing what the internet has given us regarding that as far as being able to fly something in fly something out uh, just to do that I get to do that as well I mean I'm, I'm, you know and when I was saying earlier about the Vi Academy just being intimidated by it all because you know one I hold you all in such high regard I've been playing since 1975 I should be able to do something <laughs> But you know, I, I think it is amazing what the what the what the uh, internet has been able to give us in regarding to being able to communicate with other musicians in this way. It's really amazing. Yeah, I I love it. I mean, if I'm uh, happen to go and check my Instagram, I'll see somebody some amazing player post this amazing thing. It's always inspiring. It'll, I'll say, hey, that's pretty cool. Where's my bass? Uh, let me let me let me see how that works. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's a great source of inspiration. Yeah, absolutely. When uh, what was the bass your first instrument? Was that the instrument you picked up first? No, no, it was drums. Yeah, and then even a trumpet at one point. But uh, seriously, uh, I wanted to be a bass player from pretty much the beginning. I couldn't get a bass, so I had a guitar. And uh, uh, but I, I eventually, when I got my very first bass. Uh, I just you know I stuck with that. I, I learned guitar. I'm glad I did because uh, I always encourage uh, any guy in a band to learn the other instruments somewhat of his ensemble, so you can mm-hmm. speak the language a little bit. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, you know, I worked a lot on drums. I worked I worked on guitar, mostly strumming guitar though, because I was writing songs, so I was singing and playing. It's hard, really. To, that's not hard, but it's it's a uh, Generally, you write on piano or guitar when you're singing, songwriter uh, writing. Uh, bass isn't as as usual an instrument to write on. Not impossible, uh, but uh, so I learned enough guitar that it stuck with me enough that I could write a lot, and uh, that was helpful. But uh, but bass was my thing, is my thing, always will be my thing, and mm-hmm. uh, so that's uh, it was interesting. Early on, uh, people would. Uh, Accused me of being a guitar player that switched to bass, and we would we would laugh about that. <laughs> nothing could be further. I can do fake shred on guitar. I can I can make you think I know what I'm doing, maybe, but I I don't. Um, that's funny. Um, no, I mean when I hear you play and the way you lock in with the drummer, whoever the drummer is. You can tell that you're a bass player. You you are a bass player, and you know it's it's funny. That's how I started too. I started as a bass player, and then moved over to guitar. But I still love playing the bass. It's I can listen to bass and drums isolated for hours. It's just it's just so seminal. It's so primal. Um, yeah, um, I, uh, bass and drums. That's what it's about. When they do a sound check, what do they check first? The drums. You're mm-hmm. doing a recording. What do you set up first? The drums. Yeah. What do you get? What do you get when you're doing a recording? I get the drum tracks first, and then put put everything else there. That's one thing. Sometimes people send me a 
recording the plan and, and there's no drums and I said well just, just play the click and we'll add the drums later I go no 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 can't do it gotta have the drums <laughs> the drummer drives the band you see the memes about well, scientists determine the most important guy in the band is the bass player I don't know what scientists you paid for but that's not uh, <laughs> that's not true it's the drummer <laughs> and uh, everything is built from that in most modern popular music that's yeah. not a hard and fast rule but the greater grand majority of things are built around yeah. drums drumming yeah. was there a bass player that you heard initially that made you want to play the bass well my neighbor Joe Hesse lived around the corner he was a bass player he was a cool guy drove a Triumph motorcycle had a beautiful girlfriend uh, and he his band uh, uh, rehearsed around the corner from my house <laughs> and eventually became one of the biggest bands in Buffalo back in the uh, 60s and 70s and so uh, he was a great great player still a dear friend of mine and uh, he was a big influence on me I, his bass was the first bass I picked up and uh, but then everybody well, Paul Samuel Smith and the Airbirds mm. big huge influence uh, Tim Bogart from the Vanilla Fudge huge influence as well and everybody and everything. It actually became a, 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 an illegal question for a while to, to uh, have to anyone. I would always stipulate it before an interview. You can't ask me who my influences are because, <laughs> because I answered it so many times and, and printed it out. So I thought back in the MySpace days, I'll stop this. And I listed all my influences. You can scroll down for about four or, four or five minutes in order to get to the bottom. But the, even that hasn't stopped that question. So I guess I'll. I just succumbed to it. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, when you uh, when you find yourself in different live situations, in particular, we're in a band situation. So, uh, do do you do you find that you are able to almost instantaneously instantaneously lock in with the drummer, or do you find that depending on the drummer, it can be more difficult? Pretty instantaneous. I'm lucky to have played with great drummers, uh, really some of the finest ever, and they've all uh, been very inspiring to me. And you learn after a while just to kind of lock into what's going on. Uh, you got quickly evaluate what's happening with the drummer and the drums. And mm-hmm. my when I go see a band, the guy I watch first is the drummer. If that's happening, then I'll see who else is up on stage. Uh, but that's just become an instinctive thing for me: the drums and drumming so it's it's a uh, and it's it's not any wildly difficult skill mm-hmm. it just requires you to uh, listen to what's going on and figure out how to uh, lock in or weave yourself into his rhythmic uh, patterns and such mm-hmm. pretty easy yeah when um, you know since I'm, I'm a native New Yorker when you got the DLR gig we were all we were all walking around with very puffy chests, feeling like, yeah, one of ours is in that band. One of our guys. <laughs> one of our guys is in that band. And um, man, I, I can't even tell you how many times I saw that particular Eat'em and Smile tour. I must have seen that tour seven times. Wow. Yeah, I mean, because I, I, I saw you in New York. Every time you played, I saw you in Connecticut. I saw you in Jersey. Um and um, it was astounding the assault on the senses of that band. You know, it, you guys really were the perfect, I mean, to me, really were the perfect supergroup of that time. Um, and that record still holds up. 
what is it, 30 what years? How many years later? God, 38. Uh, is it 38? No. 35? 1986. Okay. It's crazy how well that still holds up really, really, really great. Um, did you, uh, and I'm sure you've probably been asked this question before, but I don't know the answer. Uh, did you bring Shy Boy to the table, or did or did Dave say, hey, I know that tune, let's do that tune? Oh, yeah, Dave uh, wanted to do it, so I, 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 of course, was very happy that he did. I just read Ted Templeman's book, and he talks about doing that record. And uh, wonderful guy, great producer, is a big help to me. Mm -hmm. and he had nothing but good things to say about the sessions. And I'd forgotten how it went down, but he reminded me in, in the book that we, we just basically went in and played. There wasn't a lot of overdubs or fixes or uh, inspection of the parts and uh, intellectual treaties on, on sound or dynamics. <laughs> we, we went in and played, and it was. But we we, had, we rehearsed those songs a lot, and we. we on purpose, because when you really know something and you can kind of breathe with it, it's it's a lot easier to record it. And so we did that, and uh, we did a lot of it at Fantasy Studios in Berkeley, where I ended up later recording. I think the first four Mr. Big records there, mm -hmm. pretty famous studio. Then uh, some in the Power Station in New York, and some at Capitol Records, I think, in Hollywood. Yeah. It's such a live-sounding record, and and I guess because there wasn't a lot of discussion, it was just go for it. Um, it that's why I think when we got to see you play live, all of you play live, it was just like, wow! It literally was a a, a complete transfer over from the record to the live setting. There was no no blips. Yeah, we, well, Steve uh, is, is a very accomplished player and he had a lot of live experience playing with Frank Zappa and his other bands and things so uh, Greg Bissonette had played live forever I had done thousands of gigs uh, been through everything imaginable so and Dave of course a grandmaster so uh, we uh, it came together easily and uh, pretty painlessly and it was it was a blast it was an incredible time for all of us myself Steve and Greg uh, often uh, talk together and hang our keyboard player Brett sadly we lost him recently uh, uh, he, uh, he passed away he was uh, the last guy to come to join the band and it was only for live but he was really a great contributor he had a great voice and he did all the keyboard stuff and later on when Skyscraper was on he wrote a couple of the tracks for that song and mm -hmm. stayed with the band I left at that point but mm -hmm. nevertheless he continued wonderful guy yeah. so uh, yeah we were all pretty seasoned players by the time we got with Dave, so I think uh, that uh, may have shown through a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was it was astounding. Some of the best times of my life were seeing that band. I got to say, really, really great stuff. Um, so, you know, being a guitar show, um, stringed instrument show, if you will. Um, when you when you're changing guitar players playing in different situations you've played with some of the most amazing accomplished guitar players um is there a lot of working stuff out in in, in you know as far as writing and stuff like like winery dogs is a perfect example 
or Mr. Big for that for that matter. I mean, Mr. Big was another one of those bands that was just completely off the chain, very live sounding uh, band as well. Was there a lot of thought process there, or was it just, hey, I've got this, let's go with this riff and let's just see what it, where it goes? Yeah, most bands, there isn't a lot of analytical uh, thought to put into uh, yeah. what's going on. Hey, we need a, a riff here, what do you got? Okay, let me uh, either harmonize it, counterpoint it, or double it, you know, or something like that, or some combination of the three. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, it was at a DiMarzio dinner, and Larry took a photo of me, Richie Cuss, and Paul Gilbert, and Steve Vai together, and uh, I posted it. Here's me with my guitar players. <laughs> <laughs> Paul used to come see uh, Talos. He was just a kid, really. And mm-hmm. There was a little short stage at this club in uh, outside of Pittsburgh in Greensburg, and he was tall, and I remember him standing like <laughs> right you know right in front of me a couple times and so uh, he, he when I went out to LA he had already gotten out there and was trying to you know going to going to school there for uh, Musicians Institute uh, it was interesting to see him uh, uh, evolve and Steve and I we, we had we'd known of each other prior to this uh, Rob thing he uh, we were on the same label Talos and uh, Steve I basically important records, relativity records, subsidiaries out of New York. And then, uh, and Richie, I knew just through friends at first, but we became uh, good friends while he lived out in LA. Mm -hmm. And then Tony McAlpine, Greg Howe, bunch of other guys uh, that I worked with as well. It's it's pretty cool. It's, uh, it's kind of like being in a club, you know, once you get in a band and you get some records out and yeah. everybody kind of knows everybody. It's, it's yeah. just cool. Yeah, particularly you guys, all the guys that you just mentioned, you know, they're all in that. I, I always do look at it like, like, okay, it's these cats right here. These are the cats that are doing this. And holy crap. <laughs> it was pretty amazing. When you, uh, and I'm going to jump around, I hope you don't mind. Um, when I first found out about Niacin, which is such a badass three-piece, um, what was the what was the modus operandi there? It was just hey, let's. Did that come from jams as well? And then would you just guys started a band? Well, uh, Guitar World magazine was going to do a CD where everybody got on there and played a track, and it was this guitar player, that guitar player, the other guitar player. So, so they came to me and I said. Well, I'll do one with no guitar player. I'll get a B3. Because there was a time when I was growing up, when I first started, that having a B3 in the band was more important than having a guitar player. Yeah. Uh, it was way more dominant of an instrument. And, uh, pardon me, this uh, spam risk, of course. Um, <laughs> uh, so, uh, and I was a huge fan of the Young Rascals, mm-hmm. Jimmy Smith. Uh, Vanilla Fudge, they were a B3 band. Zeppelin had B3 in there. The Beatles, everybody. B3 was everywhere. So, uh, initially, we used Pat Torpy, I think, on that track. Uh, and he did an amazing job. But he was kind of busy with uh, many other things. So, the keyboard player and I decided, well, you know, we can do a whole record of this stuff pretty easy. Let's uh, write some stuff. And he said, uh, Who's your favorite drummer? And I said, Dennis Chambers. <laughs> I go, who's yours? He goes, Dennis Chambers. Well, let's call him. 
and Dennis was kind enough to just come along and uh, he's probably the greatest musician I know on any instrument maybe uh, uh, except for after this last weekend uh, he and Tommy Emmanuel are my co-greatest mm. uh, musicians I know uh, in any capacity mm-hmm. pretty pretty amazing uh, but uh, he's a joy to work with we put the first record together pretty quick wrote it up and uh, I was really happy with it we did a bunch of shows in LA and then went to New York City some stuff in Japan and uh, we've been talking lately about doing some more uh, there are some agents are contacting us from Europe to tour over there and stuff so we may go out and do some more again but I always love B3 I love the B3 tone I was a big fan I even owned one for a while mm-hmm. even though I don't play it but I just loved it so much and so much uh modern popular music is based on uh, a B3 mm-hmm. uh, Spencer Davis group Give Me Some Lovin' totally. uh, Grand Funk uh, 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 Railroad uh, Foot Stomping Music yeah. they, they, they brought a B3 player in and uh, in that band pretty amazing Three Dog Night Young Rascals Deep Purple Deep Purple of course yes every progressive band yeah which had to have a B3 so uh, yeah we we had a blast with it too uh, Steve Vai was kind enough uh, he was doing like a conversation on video with Al Demiola and they were both playing things for each other that they thought the other should hear and Steve played Al the and stuff it was, it was pretty cool uh, matter of fact we had done a song off a of Romantic Warrior uh, I forgot the name of it but it was an Al Demiola song uh, but we did it all again no guitar at one point we did have uh, a guitarist and vocalist for one song on mm-hmm. one record uh, Glenn Hughes came in and sang oh wow uh, amazing so uh-huh. that, that was quite an experience and uh, but it's a, it's a great little project I, I love playing it and I get to play with Dennis Chambers it's just the greatest thing ever uh, I, I absolutely love it it's it is so it's just I sink my teeth into it it's like an amazing meal um, particularly there's a track that I absolutely just love and I can play on repeat is the Gnarly Shuffle oh cool um, <laughs> it's hard coming up with names for instrumental tracks so <laughs> pardon the ridiculousness of some of them oh uh, it's I'm so good it, uh, Opus 1 Opus 2 Opus <laughs> 3 but you have to think of something that's sometimes the most difficult thing is that yeah I was, lyrics, so what are we going to call this thing I was talking to uh, Pat Metheny and he said that he wished that he didn't have to title his music at all because he doesn't like the idea of putting a visual imprint in the listener's mind before they've even heard it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, if it's a vocal song, of course, you want to. The title is usually what the chorus is singing. Yeah, that's different. So that kind of that's a helpful thing, actually. Yeah. But for an instrumental track, I, I understand. But uh, and I don't, I don't necessarily gravitate towards instrumental music. I'm mostly a vocal guy. Yeah most of my bands uh, and things I've been into but uh, there's of course some that I do love and uh, so that's our, that's our burden is to think of, think of a name <laughs> so w- would we see another Niacin record if you guys went out and toured or you just tore on that catalog yeah well, we, we're gonna well, the keyboard player uh, moved here to Nashville so I'm gonna go over to his house and we're gonna do what we used to do sit down and come up with some ideas and expand upon him get it to Dennis and have him do his magic and uh, go from there oh that's 
thrilling. I'm so happy to hear you say that. That is that is great. That is great. Um, so then, while we, while we're talking about projects, um, I understand you told me off mic that we're looking at a uh, potentially a new Talus record. Yeah, it's done, and uh, three singles are out, and uh, I think it releases in September. And we've had incredible, overwhelming response to the songs we've released already. We, uh, I went back to the guys that I had left in 1985, and uh, you know, we, we had done a reunion show. So you know, we, we we still got all these songs we never recorded. You know, we used to play live every night. So he goes, "Yeah, that's right." Wanna, well, we could do two things: we could uh, jazz them up and bring them right up to date and modernize them and fix all the lyrics and make. Or we could do it just like we did, like as if we got in a time machine and went back to 1985. So we said, let's do choice number two. Oh, I love it. So the cover of the album, of course, is a DeLorean stuck in the weeds somewhere, uh, <laughs> indicating the, because that came out the same year, 1985, the, the time machine. Right. <coughs> For, uh, I forgot the name of the movie, but uh, whatever it was with uh, Back to the Future. Back to the Future, uh, and uh, that's kind of what it is so we went back to the future and played it like we did it and uh, Mark Miller set up his drums in his living room in the house that he built and we went in bashed it out uh, Phil Nero did a spectacular job of singing uh, the guitarist we started with with that version of Talos Mitch was on the west coast so we couldn't have him so we had a, another wonderful player Curie out of Rochester friends with Phil Nero he came in and did a great job and uh, it was uh, quite an adventure Unknown to us, our singer Phil was uh, suffering from some health issues, and uh, but he he did such an amazing job. Uh, so sadly, soon after we finished the record, he passed away. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, and uh, he. Uh, so this album is not only a, a great uh, uh, experience of going back and enjoying uh, those years, 1985, the heyday of so much music. Uh, but it's also, and more importantly, a real tribute to a great, great man, Phil Nero, who was just a wonderful person and a great singer, and he just did a bang-up amazing job on this record. So it's uh, near and dear to our hearts for many reasons as a result. That's wonderful. That really is. Um, I'm so excited about that. I I really, really would, uh, anytime you guys came to Long Island, and you did, you came to Long Island, a fair oh, amount. Yeah. I think the Poison Dollies opened up first a few oh times. Oh my God, the Poison Dollies. Whoa, you just blew my mind. I haven't heard that name in a long time. Yeah. I remember them. Wow, yes. Um, yeah. yeah. The, uh, I think it was a singer. I, for, I, I can't give her name offhand, but we, 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 we email each other back and forth now once in a while Poison. say hello. But it was a great time. It was amazing bunch of bands. Lemoore's, all this stuff, the yep. uh, uh, Rising Sun. We had a uh, crew, sound, lights, truck, van uh, for the band to drive in, uh, booking agent, secretary, manager, all without a major label deal. And uh, we, we played all over the uh, Northeast. Yeah. Got all the way down to St. Louis and uh, up into Canada and then uh, in 1985 in the summer of 85 we got signed by the William Morris Agency and we did the Inkbay tour we went all across the country with that 
So it was, it was quite a quite a great time. It was really an astounding band. It really was just a great band to see live. Once again, very exciting uh, to see. And uh, yeah, and uh, I always loved it when they gave you a little bit of a, you know, your own time out there to just do what you do. Yeah, that was a, it, it. Evolved from uh, way back in the early seventies. We used to do a song, "Mr. Big" by Free, and that's where Mr. Big got the name from. Right. Uh, and uh, there's uh, Andy Fraser's a big player. You did a solo in the middle of that. They kind of up the rhythm a little bit, double timed it, and uh, we used to do that song all the time. Early seventies, seventy one, seventy two, around there, and and uh, at one point I said, "Hey, when the solo thing comes." You guys just stop, and I'll, I'll do some crazy ass shit. And uh, they did. <laughs> that's that's how it started. And then it worked for them because then it was a chance to go off stage and have a couple beers, you know, talk to a couple of young ladies on the side of the stage, whatever. While I'm up there working, so so I was glad to contribute to the, the social lives of the other guys of the band. Like <laughs> a little break in the middle of the show, they could go off and do that. <laughs> but it evolved and evolved and went on and went on and. It's kind of a good thing to get the experience of doing a unaccompanied bass solo pretty much every single night from 72 to 85 was a, was a good experience because you really learn how to assemble things and it was very important for me to have it be interesting especially to non-musicians mm-hmm. and uh, uh, it's it, it they have an aspect of entertainment to it, an aspect of surprise to it. And uh, it, it, I learned a lot from having it every night come up. And we're playing pretty much the same area, especially during the 70s. We'd play the same circle of clubs night after night after night after night. So I couldn't necessarily do the same exact thing each night. Right. So I had to come up with some new thing all the time. Right. On my feet, you know, think of something new. Um, how about this you know uh, so it was a good kind of pressure to get creative on your feet and uh, string things together uh, uh, on the fly mm-hmm. and, uh, and later on it was a big help to songwriting because as I'm up there uh, soloing I come up with a little motif which could be the basis for a song and I'd have a little cassette recorder on the side of the stage and hit record sometimes and go back and turn that into a, an actual piece of music you know so it was an interesting uh, uh, way to uh, evolve <laughs> that's cool I love that and you know and the, the cool thing too was at that time period and all the way through the 80s uh, all the way to the end of the 80s so often you know they would spotlight the drummer at some point during the show and it was kind of like oh here we go drum solo let's go get a beer you know, or there would be a guitar player and he would do his thing, and that that happened after Ed arrived. But um, but it was so cool that there was, you know, a bass player getting to do this. It didn't happen. Yeah, it was uh, well. I'm, you I'm broke the mold, really, if you think about it. From uh, the, the guy who started that, Tim Bogart did some great solos. Uh, uh, Glenn Cornick from Jethro Tull great player Jack Bruce of course uh, John Atwistle has a long long list John Wetton uh, so many great guys that had uh, not necessarily a, on a company basal but they would do incredible amazing things mm-hmm. that was a feature highlight of any particular song or performance 
so uh, I learned a lot from all those guys yeah. and, uh, and, uh, and like I said a long list of many others but uh, yeah and music uh, you, you keep evolving I'm down here in my studio now and I work on music all day I practice every day I get up feed the cat and I'm down here for hours on bass coming up with things so I have my iPhone next to me if I come up with some idea I put it on selfie video look into the camera explain what the heck I'm talking about so when I review it later I'll know what, what it means and uh, and I'm still uh, there's still so much more to learn it's incredible I, I love that I love that you, you, you feel that way you know being so accomplished and doing and, and have done all that you've done to still feel like okay it's still time to reach out for more try and go get more that's that's really what it's about it's like peeling an onion right the layers of layers and layers and layers yeah the, it's uh, the adventure never quits and you climb one mountain and you get to see which other mountain is next and it's mm-hmm. usually taller and bigger and colder at the top so <laughs> you gotta just keep going I, I love it I, I'm, I'm so excited about picking up my bass and playing I, years ago I had a guy uh, email me I've been playing bass for six months I'm bored what should I do and I wrote back quit quit bro if you're, <laughs> if, you're if you're not excited about it you've only had it for six months I haven't had it for you know now <laughs> 50, 55 years about 55 years uh, and I'm so excited yeah. I'm still wow try this or Hey, I got an idea, you know. So if it's six months, you can't uh, it can't hold your attention for that. I think I don't think bass is uh, is, your, is your calling. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, with all the other projects that you've had, um, will we see a Winery Dogs or a Mr. Big record again? Or Winery New Winery Dogs record is done. Oh wow! Mixed and mastered, coming out. Uh, Possibly end of October or November, or maybe wait till after the holidays to put it on next year. They're booking tours and shows for us as we speak. You're usually that stuff is booked a year or more in advance. Right. They're working on, they're putting a whole schedule together for us next year. And I've heard a rumor that there might be some Mr. Big shows, or maybe at some point, uh, maybe next year at some point. I don't know if there would be a record, but. Uh, I would just love to see Eric and Paul again and play with them. Yeah, uh, uh, it's a we're we're still very good friends, and that band was my most successful uh, uh, endeavor uh, of my life. Uh, number one single, platinum records, and uh, wonderful people, great time. So it was. Uh, I uh, hopefully we can do uh, some more. We let it rest for a while because we lost our drummer Pat. It was it just. Uh, just not the same. Yeah. Sorry, we, you know we just couldn't really. We we went out and we had a wonderful drummer, Matt Starr, and we played great. And uh, but it's just maybe it was just too soon to be out without Pat, and we mm-hmm. uh, it just just didn't land right for us. So we and, and I no I, I I I've got to uh, clarify. I, this is no way a negative, but a lot of bands go out and they lose somebody or people quit. And there's not much left of the band other than the logo and one guy. And, uh, and but I understand you, you, people still want to see that. And it was a great band, whoever that may be. And they they have the right to play, of course. And I, I support them. But sometimes uh, it, it, it's kind of disheartening. See, I, I wish I know as a fan when, when I see a band change, some guy leaves or some or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's it's hard to look at it the same. 
Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely. And it's interesting too how sometimes a band like that can lose a key member and then through perseverance can bring somebody in and then have another another chapter. Um, but then they lose somebody again and yeah, it can it can, uh, just I mean just I'm thinking about um, I'm thinking about Deep Purple actually. Uh, hearing that Steve Morse has now left and retired and you know they had a second chapter with Steve but um, but now it's kind of like okay how is this going to be and and the, and the guitar player they've they've brought in is he's wonderful he's he's a great guitar player but um, it's just I don't know it's it's it is strange yeah, and as a fan it's hard yeah Steve Morse now has played in Deep Purple longer than Richie uh, Black yeah way longer yeah and Steve Morse is just a grand master absolutely I love his playing, and he, he's a great guy, too, and just fantastic. But I grew up with uh, Fireball, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, Who Do We Think We Are, and Machine Head. So it was hard for me to wrap my head around the movie. That's true. Well, the, the greatest example of it is uh, Brian Johnson coming into ACDC. Yeah. Who would have thought they would be make the, sort of the greatest rock record of all time? Yeah. Back black could be argued that that is the case. Uh, so it's good for them that they've managed to uh, survive such a catastrophe like that Yeah. so uh, yeah we'll, we'll see what happens with Mr. Big I, I, I love that band I love our songs I, people say oh you, were, you guys are happy guys you must have hated it when To Be With You became a hit I go you are out of your mind <laughs> greatest thing ever happened to all of us I, mean, I love that song we absolutely but uh a thousand, five thousand, ten, fifty, a hundred thousand people with tears in their eyes, and we're playing that song and uh, and singing it back to you. Oh, I'm forever grateful. Oh, it's, yeah, and it's a great tune. It really is. I, I just, once again, a you know, great songwriting always wins the day. You can't beat it. Uh, sometimes when I do uh, interviews of this nature, they're regarding music and musicians, and they ask me if I have any advice for. Uh, upcoming players and I say yeah, I got three things you got to do one get in a band be in a band the dynamic of being in a band will teach you so much about life about living about your personality about dealing with people uh, and interacting and creating music together and when you dry up with a, for, of ideas somebody else has one it's a great 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 thing so be in a band number two be in a band with songs <laughs> songs that you play you need songs just to stand there and be jamming. I maybe some can do it, but uh, the grand, massive, overwhelming amount of success was a result of songs. And what kind of songs? Step three: songs that you sing. Singing, you gotta sing songs in a band. Uh, American Idol doesn't have bass players that I know of. I've never seen, but maybe there has been. I don't know. It could be, um, but. Go down the list, especially bass players, who were wildly successful. What three things do they have in common? They were in a band. The band had songs. They had songs that you sang. Getty, Paul McCartney, uh, Chris Squire, Tim Bogart, uh, even Jocko was in a band that, <laughs> that sang. And he had the Isley Brothers on his first solo record. So uh, it's just a long, long list of, of, of things. So that song thing, is what drove Mr. Big uh, 
pretty much talus too i mean we were a song oriented oh, yeah. band I mean, people were looking at all the histrionics that were going on on stage and uh, eat him a smile steve and i did our wild ass things but without yankee rose and shy boy and ladies night at buffalo and mm-hmm. all that gone i i, I don't it, it's there that's only the framework you really need that painting in, in the front that that song absolutely so, it's a very important thing and Mr. Big luckily uh, all of us wrote in the band mm-hmm. and uh, we contributed to that and uh, it was a great run yeah I, I mean we grew up on hooks right I mean yeah. that's what it's about more hooks than a tackle box <laughs> absolutely well, I'm gonna I'm gonna end it right there. That's perfect. More hooks <laughs> in a tackle box, Billy. Man, thank you so much for taking some time out in your day. Absolutely, my pleasure. Uh, I'm uh, getting in touch if you need me for anything else, and hopefully I'll be out there playing uh, soon. I'm dying to get out and play live, and I hope it can happen uh, very soon. And if uh, all your listeners uh, uh, manage to come out and see a show, I I, I, I hope uh, they do. I hope I see them, and I wish them all the best. And you. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. You have a great rest of the day. All right, man. Thanks a million. All right. Take care. See ya. Bye. Show on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher Radio, GuitarRadioShow.com, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Find Guitar Radio Show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And remember, if you like the artists you hear on Guitar Radio Show, don't just stream their music, buy it. Productions. 
Unchained Brands, unchainedbrands.com. Rock and roll accessories that give back. Handcrafted pendants, chains, necklaces, earrings, and wearables that symbolize the union of the music community. Unchained Brands is proud to provide a portion of their proceeds to benefit Music Cares, a nonprofit organization that provides a safety net of critical assistance, education, pathways to recovery, and support for all music people in times of need. Together, we will lead the journey to inspire through our products and our community. Come join us. Find Unchained Brands on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and at unchainedbrands.com.